Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. In order to be a really effective leader in a senior position, you're basically always going to be getting things wrong. And so this, this idea of perfection is driven by ego, I think. As a CEO, you've got a board, you've got investors, you've got the stock market, you've got everything else. If you don't put your ego in a box, they will put your ego in a box for you. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Kit Kite. Kit's the chief exec of CheckIt, an intelligent operations platform that gives operational leaders up-to-the-minute information and control over the deskless workforce. Kit joined CheckIt in February 2021 as chief commercial officer and has overseen the transformation of sales and marketing to drive significant growth in prospective revenue. His extensive leadership experience includes numerous combat roles as an army officer in the Royal Gurkha Rifles, as well as a consistent track record of leadership success in the private sector. Kit joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Kit. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah, and thanks very much, Amy, and thanks for bringing me on. Really pleased to be here. Uh, no worries. I'm looking to hearing your, looking forward to hearing your story. So, can you tell us a little bit about Check It and the as the organisation that you lead, what it stands for, and what you're working towards, please? So, so Check It Check It's a software company. Actually, it's a software and IoT uh, organisation. Uh, we we focus firmly on what's called the deskless workforce. I'm just going to take it to the the highest level, just so people can understand what that really means. Okay. Um, when you look at the entire global workforce, everyone who does a job globally, mm-hmm. deskless workforce represents about 80% of all workers in the world. Wow. So that's about 2.7 billion people. Mm-hmm. And most of us, or a lot of us probably listening to this podcast, will know about the knowledge workers, mm-hmm. people like you and I who sit behind laptops all day and interact with uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. It's about 600 million people in the workforce. Whereas Check It is firmly focused on solving and addressing the digital challenge, the digital and the automation challenge for the deskless workforce, which has traditionally been very underserved by both technology uh, and from an investment perspective. That's been changing over the last four or five years. And then what we've seen in the pandemic is we've seen a massive acceleration of the need to go digital for the deskless worker. So uh, who, who is the deskless worker? Um, well, we, we might call them key workers. Mm-hmm. So people who are working in the NHS, the NHS and healthcare clients are a significant um, source of revenue for us, a big client base. But they could also be people who work in restaurants, people who work in food retail, Sainsbury's. So people who are on their feet doing work, and that work can be low complexity. So I need to follow a set of processes and procedures, or it can be high complexity. As in, I'm a nurse or I'm a ward manager and I've got to be able to interact with patients and get the right drug allocations. But I don't know how it is that I'm supposed to be doing my work necessarily unless I follow traditionally just a bunch of paper checklists. So problem with the desktop's workforce in these industries, and you know, most large organizations are predominantly filled with desktop's workers, mm-hmm. certainly in, in, in the kind of industries I just referred to you. The problem they've got is that most deskless workers, 73% of them, are still using paper-based checklists in order to do their work, do their tasks. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Check It is here to solve that problem because you know, if you're still using paper-based checklists since 2022, there's a problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, so we're digitizing that. So our platform enables a deskless worker, so it could be a nurse in this case, mm-hmm. to conduct all of their work on effectively our app, which is a cloud-based platform, 
The app allows them to conduct all their task checks. They can evidence things through photo capture, barcode scanning, RFID tagging. It all gets gathered into one place. Yeah, so it could be a nurse, it could be someone working in a retail outlet, and it could be across hundreds of different retail outlets. All people are using the same platform. Mm-hmm. All that data is gathered into one place. When it's gathered into one place, it allows leaders to make real-time decisions on how the business is running and how better to work, work with your people. Um, and the other, the other part of what we do is... All of the desk workers, they're operating in a physical world, in a physical space. So they're interacting with buildings mm-hmm. and assets. So again, think of the nurse. Typically in the past, nurses are having to do lots of manual checks on um, high-end clinical fridges and freezers, for example, mm-hmm. vaccine storage, blood storage, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's taking them away from patients. But more than that, if you're only doing a check once an hour, it's very administrative from, and very burdensome. But of course, if something has gone out of range within that hour, if you're in the NHS, you basically have to get rid of the entire stock. And so that's costing the NHS 300 million pounds a year. And so our IoT sensors, so Internet of Things sensors, are automatically monitoring all these different assets so that the humans and the people in the process no longer have to do those kinds of checks. Again, we link it back into the platform and you get one kind of end-to-end solution. So that's, that's really what Check It is. That's what we stand for. We're, we're bringing digital to the desktop workforce and it's a very exciting market. Absolutely. Fantastic. And when you put it like that, it doesn't make sense why it doesn't exist already. So it's fantastic that you're bringing it to market now because it's, it's going to make a massive impact isn't it, on those, those organisations that have the desktop workers. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so as a leader of that organisation, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? It's a good question. We have, specific to check it, we are, look, we're a listed company, so we're on the AIM market, and we are what I would describe as a kind of a scale-up organization. So we have a massive, we have a massive opportunity in front of us, and we have a, a, a challenge to grow and seize that opportunity, right? The market that's in front of us is fragmented. There's no big players in it. There are a few competing organizations there's slightly more in the us than there is in uk europe mm-hmm. so our challenge my challenge our job is to lead that market okay and, and so we've kind of got the very fortunate position of being in the market right as the market starting to define itself and so you know, every week every month we're seeing further and further consolidation and evidence that this market's going somewhere so mm-hmm. our challenge is how do you grow at the sufficient scale to to get a, a sizable footprint so that when the big the big players you know, the Microsofts and the Googles of this world, they will enter at some point. We need to be able to be self-sufficient by the time that happens so we can defend our corner and take take a leading market market position. So it is a big challenge. And within that, you then have all of the internal challenges of trying to align uh, the organization and the teams and our leaders around achieving that big goal. So it's certainly certainly a, a continual work in progress. Yes, absolutely. And so my next question, Kit, is usually tell me about your journey into leadership. But I see your time at Sandhurst and I see your time in the, uh, was it the Gurkha Rifles you, you were in? Yeah, the yeah. Gurkha, yeah, that's right, the, the Royal Gurkha Rifles, yeah. And and so wow, in terms of leadership, was it always going to be the case that you would maybe transition from the military and go into a leadership role? Or how did that how did that evolve? Was it quite an organic process or was that by design? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's a... It's a, it's a solid question. I, look, I mean, I think luck, I think luck and timing always plays far mm-hmm. bigger role than most people want to recognise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only now that I'm in the position I'm in that I can reflect upon the kind of 
accelerated leadership journey I went on when I was in the army mm-hmm. um, because yeah not only did I go through Sandhurst and I was really, I was very fortunate to be selected into one of the elite the elite units the Gurkhas mm-hmm. and then even more fortunate in many respects to lead them on combat operations in you know in Afghanistan multiple times mm-hmm. um, you know I, in my sort of mid to late 20s I was a sort of combat hardened veteran as it were and that's why I think where I I got I learned some pretty big fundamental truths about how what what effective leadership looks like, um, albeit under very highly stressed, highly pressurized mm-hmm. circumstances. So I, I I took all that that experience, and I knew that there was a point in time where I was going to want to transition out of the military, and I wanted to see what I could a- achieve in business. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's it's only been about I suppose it's been about ten years, really. Uh, not even 10 years actually about nine years since i left the military and it's, it's, it's you know the, the journey's continued to accelerate so um yeah it's it, it's it's really only in the last few years that you know my, my approach was typically to say i don't know anything about business i need to I need to learn the fundamentals I, i'll park my so-called leadership experience in my back pocket for the first few years until i've proven myself and i've understood my environment and then as i've got to a certain level of uh seniority I've been able to then reapply some of those tools, and it's it's now a really effective combination. So it's yeah. it's it, it certainly wasn't um, a given that this was going to work out the way it has. Uh-huh. I think you know, if I was to be honest, the thing the thing that I'm probably most, I guess, proud of for myself is that I've been able to translate leadership su- success in one domain mm-hmm. and replicate leadership su- success in another domain. Yes. So military and business, then they're definitely not the same environment. They're quite different. There are some similarities, but it's been great to be able to to realise that it's multifaceted the, the, the way that you can bring leadership to bear. Yeah, absolutely. So that that was going to be one of my questions as well. And please forgive my civilian ignorance, but I would imagine that leadership within the Royal Gurkha Rifles, you know, you're sort of following somebody over the hill because that's your job to follow them over the hill. Whereas in business, you, there's more of a, a sort of a hearts and minds piece. Is that? <laughs> fair to say from the the difference in the leadership perspective or or not I, I, yeah i mean i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna actually what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna hopefully burst a few of those illusions actually because good people have i mean some some people might have this working assumption that um we, what you need to do is issue orders you know and your highly highly trained and well-trained soldiers will will, will follow, follow them no matter what i mean the reality is as a leader in the military, you're actually constantly having to sell a plan to your men. Okay. If you can't sell that plan to your men or, or women, mm-hmm. um, but in my case, it was it was men because the Gurkhas. If you can't sell that plan effectively, mm-hmm. they will not follow you into battle okay. um, because it's life and death, yeah. uh, and people aren't that stupid. Um, and and they're certainly and so and so in a way in a way what you get is. A lot of the, a lot of what I would call the table stakes work, because they're such elite soldiers. The table stake work is taken care of. I don't have to worry about, you know, the minutiae of what they do. But you do have to worry about the really big, strategic reasons to what we're going to do. You're planning the missions that you're going on, and those missions could, if 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 delivered wrong, could end in you know injury or harm or death to your own people. Mm-hmm. So you, you you carry that responsibility. So you have to, you have if they're going to be a success, though, you have to be able to sell it. So it's not a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for me, the leadership thing in the military is it, it's put in, it's brought into focus right at the sharp end of where you do your work. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of stuff back in barracks that might happen just automatically. It's, you know, you, you're almost more of a manager than leader, but okay. without question, it gets brought up. Now, um, 
Whereas what I've seen that's different in business, there's a number of different businesses. First of all, the you've got two completely different ideologies at play, right? So in, in the military, you're going along a sort of geopolitical ideology. You, you, you're actually buying into far, a far bigger idea. We're here to make a difference. We're here to do something, uh, you know, save, save a civilian force, help remove a dictator, whatever, whatever it's going to be. It's a, it's a far bigger goal. In, in business, ultimately, you know, it's, it's driven by profit and loss. So what we're buying into is the success of our organization, but our organization can only be successful if it's delivering the right business outcomes. So you're, the lens by which you motivate people in business is necessarily different. You actually have to appear, you have to appeal a lot more to people's personal and intrinsic motivations. <laughs> and everyone's an individual in business, typically. You've got, you know, someone's in marketing, someone's in sales, someone's in product, etc. And I've got a whole different set of things that motivate me as a person. Some people were more money motivated, more money motivated, i.e. salespeople. Um, and some people are slightly less money motivated, but they're much more motivated about the quality of their work product and R&D, for example. Uh -huh. So so the, the difference, I think, in business is you've got to find a way to make that overarching goal, the success of your organization, translate into a whole different set of functional areas and work on the individual basis to get them to cooperate with you. So it's, it is a slightly, it's a slightly more uh, ambiguous challenge, is what I'd yes. say. Yeah. Now, thank you for clarifying that. And and as I say, please forgive my civilian <laughs> ignorance, but that makes perfect sense. When you put it in that sense, uh, it's, it's good to have burst those bubbles. But then, and so in terms of leadership then, are there characteristics that you feel that all great leaders should have? You know, how would you define a great leader? Yeah, I think I think there's a lens by which you can judge all leaders. Um, and I think it, it goes like this. I think you are either effective or you're ineffective. And it doesn't matter what the domain is you're in. So you could be in business, you could be in the military, you could be in politics. If you're effective in what you're supposed to be doing and the outcomes you're supposed to be get, going towards, mm -hmm. then somewhere within that, you must be a good leader because it, you cannot sustainably be effective if you're not. Yeah. Right? Okay. And the vice versa is true. If you're ineffective in the outcomes and the results you're trying to move your organization, your people towards then it doesn't matter how great you may seem, you're fail, failing as a leader. Mm -hmm. okay. Right, so you're either effective or you're ineffective. There's two types of lead, that's it. And I think, that's, I think you, can, you can apply that across organizations, across domains, across you know, industries. Um, and I think, you know, and I think within that, I, I, actually, I, don't think that, I don't think it's a given that people all rise to the limits of their potential. Yeah. No, um, I think I think it's quite the opposite. So I think what I what I quite often say to um, our people at Check It or our leaders at Check It, I say, look, it's not what you preach; it's what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can all say this is what we expect, and this is the lofty standard we're all going to go execute towards. But if you tolerate sub subpar performance, if you tolerate subpar execution, that is what your team will rise to or fall to. Okay, so you need to raise your own standards and what you tolerate to the highest possible level in order to get people to move towards their potential. And I think you can apply that across the board. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. A good soundbite too to remember. And, and and is there a piece of advice or an experience that's really shaped your approach to leadership? I mean, was it early on in your career or or later on? But what has shaped your leadership style? Um, I, I'd say there's probably no one single piece of advice, but there is, in fact, a lot of what I've my more my leadership style has been built around has been um, from following the actions and the behaviors of those that I respect 
mm-hmm. right? And I think, and then within that, you then kind of learn, you kind of learn the advice. And yeah, so for me, it's what, what I've what I've been taught over time, and it's been either by you know very respected military leaders and indeed business leaders, mm-hmm. is that you can't control the uncontrollables. And a lot of people want to, and a lot of people fall into the trap of trying to make elaborate plans that cover all bases, and then it gives them a sense of comfort. They temporarily suspend their anxiety. You can't do that. What you actually have to do is get very comfortable with the fact that you have your little circle of influence and control Mm -hmm. for which you might be able to control some things, and most other things which are outside of that are way out of control. And so instead of trying to put a rigid framework around it, just be very flexible, very fluid, and very agile and adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just that's the main that's the main thing I've I've taken away uh, from people over the years. And then within that, choose action over inaction. Okay, yes. so the tendency to want to think too much about what you think the solution is based upon a bunch of uncontrollables that you don't really understand mm-hmm. promotes this kind of paralysis. Yeah, and I just don't. I, I've I've rarely come across, at least in my various lines of work, I've rarely come across situation where that's going to be an acceptable outcome because the time and the clock is always against you so yeah. choose action over an action the action itself may actually be wrong but you're moving towards something and then you can adjust and then you can adjust and then you can adjust yeah and eventually you get back to where you where you need to be yeah especially over the last couple of years i think there's been a lot of energy wasted in trying to plan for for what's coming over the horizon because we just don't know do we we're in the VUCA environment anything could happen we thought we were coming out of the pandemic and then the situation in Ukraine is all over the media and it's it's very difficult to plan for everything so I completely agree with you there just do the next yeah. best thing the next right thing is the way forward I think at the moment yeah 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 100% and if someone was looking to follow in your footsteps then, so either they were right at the start of their career and they were looking to um, end up in the chief exec chair or if they were hoping one day to you know, take a step up into a leadership role, what kind of advice would you offer them? Okay, well, I think if I was to try and give some cogent advice or some concise advice, I would say, look, the fir- first and foremost, you, you've got to check your ego. I'm saying that kind of quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think the higher, you, the more senior you get in, in leadership positions, there can be a danger and a tendency for your ego to get out of control. You suddenly think you're the master of the universe. You don't need to follow up your words with actions that are appropriate to them. You know, and 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 indeed, you suddenly become unwilling to listen to either advice or criticism from others, both yeah. up and down the organisation and outside the organisation. So I think check your ego, get your ego, put it in a box, yeah. because in order to be a really effective leader in a senior position you're basically always going to be getting things wrong. And that, so, and, and, and so it, this, this idea of perfection is driven by ego. I think, you know, you're, you have a lot of pressures above you. So as a CEO, you've got a board, you've got investors, you've got the stock market, you've got everything else. I mean, if you don't put your ego in a box, they will put your ego in a box for you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and you, but you won't be thinking clearly because you'll be constantly you know, moving from one emotional state to another rather than actually doing your job and just leading and executing. So I think that one, and I think within that, that means you need to, by ne- by definition, therefore, you need to practice humility um, at all times. So yeah. you don't have all the answers. Uh, you know what? Someone who could be three three layers down in the organization could be trying to do something that's truly valuable, and you should pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. You know, someone once mentioned to me the idea of uh, reverse mentors. I quite like the idea of reverse mentors. You could probably learn a lot of teenagers right now yeah. because of the way they're trying to interact with the world. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. 
so yeah i think i think that's what i would advise and and i suppose the final one would be and it's 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 related to the point i said earlier which is for me just live in a constant state of uh, adaptation so yes. you know i think charles, charles darwin said it's not the most uh, intelligent of the species um, that survives. It's the one that is most adaptable to its environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really think that's true. And as, as we said, yeah, in this VUCA world and in a, in a world that gives never ending big macroeconomic shocks to you, mm-hmm. just be really adaptable. And that's how you're going to survive and thrive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very much more, more so now than ever. I think the role of the leader is to keep taking action, as you said, but always be always plan to course correct, keep moving forward, but be open to the course corrections. As long as you've got that long-term vision and you know where you're going, there is absolutely no harm in sort of course correcting as long as you're going in the right direction and you get yourself back on track. Because you, you have to do that. If the pandemic taught us anything, it was it was that. Keep the vision in sight, but keep moving forward in whichever way you can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Because people still have the, you know, people still have an obsession with, again, going back to something we said earlier about having a, um, trying to control all the uncontrollables mm-hmm. people want to do it because they want to feel comfortable fundamentally i, yes, I i'm kind yeah. of a big i'm a big believer in discomfort discomfort is a source of growth um yeah. but also I, I say to everyone in my in the organization i i don't i don't want to see anything more than a one-year plan and frankly within that one-year plan i'm expecting it to pivot once or twice within that year um because beyond that really what what's the purpose of a plan beyond the year at the moment mm-hmm. we, we, in almost any environment right now, it's we're barely getting through a quarter without there being some significant change to assumptions, operating model, conditions, you know, runaway inflation, cost of living, etc. You know, you, you, if you have a, if you rigidly stick to that plan just because you don't want to have to think of another one, then you're you're being ineffective as a leader. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And and so in terms of leadership, then, it, I mean, we're up against lots of lots of challenges at the moment. It feels like, like you say, everything changes on a on a quarterly basis. But are there leaders that you've either come across in your career or that you you are aware of through I don't know, reading autobiographies or just being aware of them as, as public figures? Is there a leader past or present that that really stands out to you that you particularly admire? And if so, what is it about their approach that, that makes them stand out for you? Uh, yeah, there is, you know, sort of when I, when I reflect on this, th- th- there's many, and there's actually many historical figures who are no longer with us who, 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 who you could look at and just think, wow, there's so much to be gained from them, be they Nelson Mandela or Winston Churchill, etc. Um, I think for me, there's there's someone in particular, and it's related to my background, so therefore you can kind of see how I get there. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, a, there's a person in the US called um, Jocko Willink. Okay. And He's he's quite on trend now, but you know I, I, I sort of became aware of him maybe six seven years ago. Um, Jocko Willink's an ex Navy SEAL uh, and now very successful um, entrepreneur. Effectively, actually runs as part of his entrepreneurship portfolio. He runs his own uh, leadership consultancy that's also become very successful. Uh, but outside of that, he's got his own podcast that is you know sort of top top ten podcast in the US, mm-hmm. uh, all on leadership all on leadership, strategy, tactics, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, bringing bring real-life examples, that that's become a runaway success. And frankly, what he's, what he's actually done is he's built a very successful brand, brand around himself. 
Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's TEDx talking. He's, yeah. uh, you know, going all over the world doing various things. He's why, why I, why I admire uh, Jocko is not only because, from a personal perspective, he's a great example of who someone who's harnessed some brilliant experience from the military, the U.S. military in this, in this case, Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. and then converted it into, you know, outsized performance in the business world. But okay. you know, he, he, I, th- I think he's transcended that. He's gone beyond just business into something of a uh, something of a thought leader, right? And a very successful one of that. And mm-hmm. what 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 I've been able to identify is that you know he's actually you know, become very savvy. He's he's absolutely exploiting social media to to um, to promote his brand and his platform. He's but what he's done is he's executed just rigorously and ruthlessly throughout this time he's just always on message mm-hmm. his message doesn't deviate um he builds the following he executes he executes he executes time and time again and i think that laser focus that clarity of vision and that clarity of execution is really really hard to maintain over time and so for him to have been at this thing now for probably the better part of a decade and just grown exponentially with success is is, is testament to his ability to do so yeah, now, of course, he does some outrageous stuff like he gets up at half past four every day and he only needs you know, four and a half hours of sleep and all that kind of superior stuff. I mean, I don't care so much about that, but for me, it's the it's how he's executing on that plan, that vision, and the message with which he puts down has been, I think, been quite inspirational. Does not just people in the US, but you know, he's got a huge following internationally. I think it's it's uh, it, it's great to see that live and in action. Yes, yeah. And what was his name? Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink, I'll take a look. I've not come across him before. That does sound like definitely worth a listen. And and so beyond that podcast then, are there books or other um, content that you're consuming that helps shape your leadership style or supports you as a leader at the moment? Have you got any recommendations beyond Jocko Willink? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got, I mean, a couple of things I'm reading. Well, from a non-fiction perspective, let's just say, yeah. Um, I'm reading it. I mean, it's related to my industry, but it's, it's 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 related to business. It's related to our world. There's a book called Scary Smart, which is the called the you know, the future of artificial intelligence by someone called Mo Mo, Mo Godat, who is a very senior uh, Google X, you know, PhD computer science mm-hmm. guy now now left uh, and big thought leader in the in the, in the space of what artificial intelligence will mean for our world. And I think it's very, for me, it's very important. I've read a number of books on this stuff by people like Max Tedmark and Nick Bostrom. Um, the way the artificial intelligence is impact, is it already impacting our lives and will impact every facet of our lives in the very near future is, you know, it's going to be the, sing, you know, the single biggest transformation in, in the history of humanity. So it's, I'm reading up on it because it's just, it's, it both fascinates me, slightly scares me, yes. and it makes me ask the question, so what 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 do I do? What do my people? What do my organisation do yeah. to try and survive and thrive in that kind of a world? So that's mm-hmm. that's one book that I'm reading. I think you know, can help. <laughs> highly recommend most people get on get on board with this stuff. And then another book which was I read not too not too uh, not too long ago, which was a really really interesting book, is a book called The Forty Eight Laws of Power okay. by Robert Greene. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's partly based on leadership, and it's also partly based on what it is to gain and maintain power in many different formats, and how you actually successfully successfully utilise that in your living, working environment. 
And so, yeah, that was a, that's another book that I think there's, and it's basically just a book that's split across, you know, each, 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 each law is a chapter. Each chapter has a anecdotal historical reference to examples where it's been used correctly and examples where it's been used incorrectly. And you can, so it really brings the entire thing to life. And you can, I think you can take a lot, a lot from that. It really doesn't matter who you are, what level of leadership you're in or not in. I think these things are very, very useful for living a more, you know, effective life. Yeah, that one sounds like a really great read. I'm just getting to the end of an MBA, so I'm not really, if it wasn't on the reading list, it didn't get a look in for the last couple of years, but I'm, yeah, uh, yeah I'll be taking a look at that one. That sounds good. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And and so can you tell us a bit about what's going to be going on at Check It over the next six to 12 months? What's what's happening this year that you're excited to share with us? Yeah, well, Check It Check It's in a great place at the moment. We, um, so as I mentioned, we're, we're a listed company on the A market. We had a very successful uh, capital raise uh, at the end of last year. Oh. So we, we raised a bunch of money. Uh, the investors, we were actually oversubscribed, so that meant I, I was able to turn down some commitments and some some cash could we just didn't need, didn't need it all. But what it meant was that um, the institutional investor community is really bought into the Check It story, the Check It narrative, where we're, we're, we're very well capitalized. And so as I look towards the remainder of this year, albeit <laughs> our financial year only started the 1st of February, so only, we're only six, seven weeks into it. So uh, as I look forward to this year, it's we have to execute on the plan. Okay, yeah. that plan is that plan is growth. So we have we're a software company. We have some pretty aggressive growth targets. Some of those targets are in the market. They're publicly available information. But we also where our, our annual recurring revenue numbers need to hit new heights. Okay. That means we need to grow. We need to sell. We need to deliver our services at increased scale, both in the UK and Europe, and also in the US. We established mm-hmm. our US footprint about a year ago, um, so and that's been quite successfully set up. Uh, and as we have a number of clients on board already, so we will continue to scale up. So the theme is growth without without question. I'd caveat that now and say the theme is sustainable growth. Yes. Yeah. In that, in that it's not growth at all costs. In that it, it never should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think definitely in this current market, you know, talking you know, about how you slightly adjust your plans as you go along. I look at the current macroeconomic environment between the end of the pandemic, you know, war in Ukraine. You know, mm-hmm. um, rising cost of living, global supply chain challenges, all these kind of things. And you think, okay, look, we're going to do growth. We're going to do it in a sustainable way, which means we'll manage our, our, our position. And we will also, we'll also look to you know, keep, keep the business quite trim and quite lean in how we're, in how we're operating. So, but it's super exciting. You know, we, we, we've got a, a, brilliant, a brilliant product, a brilliant platform, mm-hmm. and taking that to market and helping customers in, in, in industries. For example, if you look at the hospitality industry at the moment, They've had a rough time over the last mm-hmm. couple of years in the pandemic. Now they're trying to get back to full speed, but they've got a real problem because a lot of the staff that they used to employ, a lot of that staff moved into different industries. Mm-hmm. So they're now trying to do the same amount of work with less people and they haven't got a solution with how to deal with it. So I look at that and see that's a, it's a classic area where something like Check It can really help because we don't use our platform and you can actually do more with less, for example. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, the hospitality industry is huge in not just the UK, Europe, US. It's a massive source of revenue. It's, it's key to getting this economy back ticking where it needs to be. So I see a lot of areas where we can help people. Absolutely. Fantastic. So watch this space effectively. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. And thank you for taking the time to speak. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and hearing more about your leadership approach. So thank you, Kit. It's been, been great speaking with you. Yeah, absolute pleasure, Amy. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with your endeavours as well. 